0: Well, hi there, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Gary Neville podcast. We're here at the London Stadium, where Liverpool have just won their second away game in three days and they're starting to look as though they're back on track, Gary.
1: Yeah, I think the, the victory at Spurs on Thursday evening was a big one. You're going there with a the makeshift defence and coming here again with it today and performing so well. They were controlled through this game. Might have been a little bit worried if you were a Liverpool fan, probably 50, 60 minutes in, when they were just passing a little bit too much. And obviously, Mane not here for me. Not here. He wondered where the goal was going to come from. But Mo Salah has just completely changed the direction of this game in terms of it was drifting a little bit. But they were he's been absolutely brilliant in that 15-minute period where he got the two goals.
0: The first goal was a typical Salah coming in from the right on his left foot. But the second goal from a West Ham corner just... Take us all through it again. So special. I mean, I have to say, you see the first goal, which is a really good
1: goal, but it's one of those that you see quite often from Mo Salah, so you're not out of your chair thinking it's anything different. In fact, I'm more thinking, don't let him back on his left foot. How many times I see that as a fullback, and I'm thinking these types of players that, you know, cut in from the opposite side. But the second goal is so, so good. It's exceptional. It's breathtaking. Um, the best goals that I ever think of. Whilst I was at Manchester United with the counter attack goals, where they're just devastation, the best teams really do have it, and the precision and to attack at pace with precision is the most difficult thing. The pass from Curtis Jones is wonderful, the pass first time from Shakiri is exceptional, and then the touch the touch the first touch is out of this world, and we give the tag very rarely to people of world class and we do have some world class performers in the Premier League Kevin De Bruyne I think Allison's a world class goalkeeper but Mo Salah is a world class forward stroke striker and that first touch and second touch was just something different it was an unbelievable goal it, one of the best goals I've seen uh, certainly this season You know, I'm not going to say any season because we've seen great goals but it really did sort of catch our eye.
0: I think everybody at home will have just thought, wow, what a goal. Just to put it into context, um, Liverpool with yet another, the 12th different centre-back partnership uh, of the season in in 21 Premier League games and without Mane injured and Firmino came on late. um, So West Ham might have looked at that and thought this is our day, but it, it wasn't at all really.
1: I think we had a chat before the game, didn't we, about whether West Ham would have the belief. We actually mentioned it about Manchester United last night, that word belief as to whether they actually think they should be where they are. And then again with West Ham today, you think, do they really believe before the game they can beat Liverpool? And it was almost for first half, it was almost like we're OK. We're in the game, they're not hurting us, and that was enough. But it's not enough. They had to go and disrupt those centre-backs and cause them problems. And I thought that Antonio, with the right service, could have caused real problems with Benrahma and Fonals, uh, Bowen. I just thought that they, they must have some joy here today against those Liverpool centre-backs, and they didn't. Phillips did really well. Henderson was so steady, so solid, read the game brilliantly, um, looked like a, a seasoned centre-back. And it was a comfortable game for Liverpool. I know they conceded one late on, but really that was just a consolation goal. Uh, And well done to Liverpool, because whereby they've got different personnel in those positions, the structure is still the same. They're still pushing up the pitch, they're still playing that high line, they're still pressing the game, they're still compact from back to front, they're still sustaining attacks, they're doing the same things, even though they've got different personnel. And that's credit to the players, it's credit to the coach. And I have to say that they have been decimated with injuries to some of their best players. Jota, Mane, Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip not playing today. You know, they've had big problems and yet they're overcoming it. And if they can beat Brighton in midweek, which they should do at home, that's no disrespect to Brighton, then we've got a real cracker next Sunday against Manchester City whereby I think they'll be right up for it,
0: this Liverpool team now. So just as we didn't write them off after five games without a win, are we going to build them up too much after two away wins? And where where do you see this Liverpool team? Say compared to a year ago, it's it's a different season. They've got injuries. I
1: mean, two three months ago, Martin Pre van Dyke injury. I was saying this is Liverpool's league, and it will be ab- no doubt. All of a sudden, the van Dyke injury, and then other things happening like Jota getting injured, and then the front th- front three just not quite being where they should be means that it all changed. The City have come to the fore, but it is swinging back and forward. And it's a season which, to be fair, can make you look a fool if you make a prediction in one month and the month after a manager has lost his job or a team has gone from second down to sixth and, or sixth up to second. And that, it's just that type of, of place. And I don't think any of us ever thought Liverpool were out of the title race in the last few weeks. I mean, I have a bit, I've had a bit of fun, let's be clear. <laughs> you know, Watching them in those midweek games drop points and seeing United go top of the league, mm-hmm. it's been a two or three week party. But that's how I felt it was. I felt it was a two- or three-week party. I thought it would come to an end at some point, that Liverpool would resume their form. I don't think Manchester United necessarily have to fall away, but I thought Liverpool would come back and that they would get over this blip. They've got too good a coach and they've got too good a squad.
0: What about Manchester City? Eight Premier League wins in a row now. It was a a tricky one against Sheffield United. who have just beaten uh, Manchester United in Manchester, but uh, they are setting the tempo now, aren't they?
1: They are, and if you think about Liverpool's victory at Tottenham being almost like a, a catalyst for change, we were at that City performance against Chelsea. If you remember that week, was a. <coughs> there were a lot of questions asked about Manchester City. They'd had the COVID cases, they had the game called off, they'd had a bit of a difficult run, and then they went went and put one of the most exceptional displays of football for half an hour. Then they go and play, I think at Old Trafford, was it, the in the Carabao Cup semi-final on the Tuesday or Wednesday after and perform really well, and they've just gone like that. And that's where Liverpool could be. If they beat Brighton, they've got those three victories going into the game against Manchester City. They could start to have that feeling that, here we go, the confidence comes back and it could be a brilliant game next Sunday. But Manchester City at this moment in time, they look fantastic. They do look fantastic, but it is a strange season and it just takes one little obstacle and all of a sudden you have a little blip and you can drop points and City will be aware of that. They don't look like they're going to do it at the moment, but it is a season whereby we've seen... It being a little bit up and down.
0: Between Liverpool and Manchester City are Manchester United. Now the odd bunch in your <laughs> commentary of when we worked together yesterday. Um, but I, I think everybody knows what you mean. and They're, they're, they're very good players and, and they're getting very good results. Um, the Arsenal game, was that a disappointment or a point gained?
1: I think the disappointment is over the three games, the Liverpool... Uh, Sheffield United and Arsenal, the fact that there's two points out of those three matches when the Liverpool and Arsenal games, they, they were there for the taking. And I, I had this debate with, I think I, I, saw, I saw Roy and Jamie's piece last night about why didn't they show more belief? They haven't got it yet. They haven't got the mentality of a champion team. And it's difficult just to have that from being eight weeks ago thinking that the manager's in trouble after the... Um, the, the defeat to Leipzig and then going out of the Champions League to all of a sudden, eight weeks later, transferring that mindset into we're a champion team. They're not like Liverpool. They haven't won the title of those players. They're not like Manchester City. They haven't got titles in the bank. They haven't got that experience to be able to draw upon. And I get the bit where you would say, well, OK, you're there. Go for it. Take it. It's a strange season. But they just haven't got it. We didn't think that ten weeks ago. We didn't think it ten days ago. So when we're seeing them in games not quite going for it, it's disappointing. And I share that disappointment, but it isn't surprising. It's not it shouldn't be surprising to any of us because we didn't think they could do it. So when when they don't do it, let's not be shocked. You know, it, it's just disappointing that they're not quite there yet. But I accept it, they're not quite there. I wanted at the start of the season, as a Manchester United fan, Manchester United to get close to Liverpool and City. If you could say to me in another two or three months they're sat in between Liverpool and City, I'd be absolutely delighted because that is big progression. There've been masses of points off for them in the last two or three years, they've been nowhere near. And when I call them an odd bunch, they're an odd bunch because they don't put really good performances together over long periods of matches. They play for 10 minutes and then they go away for 15 minutes and then they sort of drift away and the game drifts along and then there's a moment where they go one down and then they come back and then it's just odd. You watch them, it's odd and you you see patterns of teams develop, but there are very few patterns with the Manchester United team and that's maybe a little bit because of the fact that they do rotate more, I think. They, you know, Raleigh on the Solskjaer seems to rotate four or five times in midweek and then changes again at the weekend. And maybe that consistency isn't just quite M- that.
0: More than most other Premier League managers. He does, he does. Yeah.
1: And that, that's a good thing. I mean, he's, mm. he's got that from the Sir Alex Ferguson era where trust your squad, trust your players, trust your squad. And I do think he's got a number of players whereby if you see the Liverpool front three, the drop-off is huge. Whereas actually, if you play Mactomini, he's probably the number one in midfield alongside Fred. But if you play Matic... It's not a massive drop-off. In fact, you could flip a coin between them. Who plays? I think the same with van der Beek, Pogba and Fernandes. Fernandes is number one, but actually the drop-off to Pogba is... Pogba's equal probably at times and the same with Greenwood, Martial, same with Rashford and Cavani or, you know, there's not that massive drop between all the players. And there are are a couple of them that have to play. I think that Matt Maguire has to play. I think he's one of them. I think Fernandez plays, but the rest of them you can rotate without that bigger drop off. Luke
0: Shaw has to play now. Luke
1: Shaw now, yeah, even though Tellers has done well, I think, Mm -hmm. in the game Mm -hmm. against Sheffield United, but you're right. Luke Shaw stepped up to a level, so they miss him when he doesn't play because he drives forward down that left-hand side. But I just think Manchester United, they are an odd bunch. They're getting better. And I think the fact that over the last few weeks we've got excited, it's been fantastic to see them sort of emerge at the top of the league. It's really important now they concentrate that Manchester United group of players because they're in the midst of a run that could be a little bit difficult. They've got to get back to winning ways. Or else that three games could turn to four, could turn to five. And before you know it, they could be back down where... Tottenham have fallen, or Chelsea, at times this season we've said Tottenham and Chelsea could challenge for the league. Mm -hmm. And within three or four weeks, they're down in fifth or sixth, and you think, what's going on? Manchester United have got to make sure now they demonstrate some consistency. They were always going to drop points at times, and it's been disappointing this last week or two that they haven't had that belief. But I'm not surprised by it. None of us thought they had the ability to win a league. So now that they're not demonstrating that ability, I'm not shocked. I wish they would. I wish they had it. And it's there for the taking, because the other teams are... Not obliterated, but they're weaker. City and Liverpool are weaker, so why not go for it? And I'm sure they are, but there's something just missing, and that's why I call them an odd bunch.
0: We're talking before Tottenham's game this evening, by the way, because they they, they could bring a story that we can't obviously comment on. Um, one story I've got to ask you about is Frank Lampard leaving Chelsea. We haven't done a podcast since that happened. Uh, what was your take on that? I think because
1: of the rumours that had come out of Stamford Bridge and into the media a week before, it wasn't really the shock. I think once you hear those rumours, I thought initially would get more time uh, just to let him let them settle in, but then... You can't be surprised at Chelsea. I go back, Martin, to that. Uh, you were there, I think, in Napoli eight, nine years ago when V S. boas had picked a team in the afternoon of a Champions League game and he'd left out, you'll remember, I think they left out Frank Lampard, Michael Essien and another big player at that time. And I remember the Chelsea players at that time ringing up members of the media and trying to get him out. And Frank was part of that group. And... It's been really a brutal football club for managers for many, many years. And Frank's suffered that brutality last week. So he should be the least of all surprised because he's seen it when he's been at the club, when Villas-Boas has sacked to Scolari and all the rest of them that have come and gone. Not surprised, but hurt, I would guess. Oh, He'll be hurt and he'll be disappointed. But I hope he's pragmatic about it in the sense that it's not a reflection upon him in the sense that... You know, every manager at Chelsea gets sacked before they probably think they should. They don't get the time that they all think they should. That's what happens. It's an immediate, you know, it's a club that has a model that's worked and he knows that model. So for me, I never shed a tear for Frank the other day. Sometimes I feel really sorry for managers, but actually I feel Frank's had a massive experience. He's had a great experience at Derby, he's had a great experience at Chelsea, and where he's at now in his managerial career is that he's a lot further ahead than most English managers have been. And that's a real positive. We should not look upon Frank Lampard in any way, shape or form as being further forward in his managerial career, better for it. And in his next job, he'll have more experience. He'll have more more ideas. He'll have more ways of dealing, different ways of dealing with people. We've got to try and build up young managers' careers to a point whereby they become experienced so they can get to this level of, you know, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola and these types of exceptional coaches. Brendan Rodgers is doing it at at Leicester. Doing a fantastic job, and he's had many good jobs along the way and he's been sacked, he's been let go and he's had difficult moments. And Frank's just got to make sure now that the next club that he picks is a good one. That's the key for Frank Lampard. Take the experiences that he's had. He's had amazing experiences. He did a great job at Chelsea last season. It is harsh, but it's not harsh at Chelsea
0: because that's what Chelsea do. What about Thomas Tuchel then? He's played two. Uh, two home games that probably Frank Lampo would have hoped to get six points from. He's got four. Uh, they've not conceded a goal. He's made some changes. Alonso's come back in from the cold and scored a goal. Um, you know, do you have an, an impression of what kind of football he'll bring?
1: The first thing to say is that I, I was critical, and you know, on this podcast a few years ago about the quality in the Premier League. However, the minute that Jurgen Klopp, Pochettino, uh, Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, now we've got a new coach at Chelsea, when you bring the level of coaching, the quality rises. Irrespective of whether we've got the biggest uh, transfer fees, the quality of the coaching rises, the quality of the player rises, and I think that the addition of top quality coaches in the Premier League should be the absolute must, more than the players, because I think they'll they'll get the level out of the players. We've seen Jurgen Klopp do that at Liverpool with a net spend that's modest compared to some of the clubs in Europe. So for me, the addition of another top coach into the English game is good. You know, we want to see that balance, don't we? We like the idea of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer getting a chance and John Terry's now at Aston Villa and Michael Carrick's at Manchester United and Frank Lampard was at Chelsea, Stephen Jarrett at Rangers. There was, a, there was a time in my first few years out of football where it looked like the media and the pundit analyst route was the, was the, the only way to go. However, now we're seeing a lot of players. My brother's now obviously in management for the last few years. Uh, Ryan Giggs is at Wales. You know, we were seeing some of the, 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 the great Premier League players of, of, of that era now coming in, Mikel Arteta at Arsenal. I like the blend of the young ones having a go against the best ones, the Peps, the Guay. Gwai- it's a really good blend we've got at the moment. So seeing Thomas Tuchel or Tuchel? Tuchel. Tuchel, yeah. Um, come into the Premier League is a welcome addition. Not at the expense of Frank Lampard, but we want to see great coaches because I think it really does lift the game in this country.
0: Just a word on a, another manager who had a very good day yesterday, Steve Bruce. They had a tough time at Newcastle, but that win at Everton, it's certainly worth your comment on because um, it looks though like they played very well and, and Callum Wilson, who is a good goal scorer, delivered on the big day. It's, it's a tough place to go and win and, and it was a, a very important result for, for Steve. He,
1: he needed it. He needed it. We did a piece on Monday Night Football a few weeks ago whereby... You know, it became about sort of, you know, Benitez versus Bruce. It's not really about Benitez versus Bruce. The points that they've achieved at the club are similar. Some might say the style is different. Some might say Steve Bruce has had more money. Some might say Rafa Benitez is, I said, Rafa Benitez is a sort of coach that's been at the very top of the game. And, you know, Steve Bruce obviously would be on less money and less expectations. So it almost equals itself out. But for me, Newcastle's problems are not down to the manager. They haven't been for years. And the biggest problem that I've had with Newcastle in the last six, seven, eight years doing the commentary when I've been going up there, probably is my experience of going to Newcastle, it's, a, it's the most passionate, one of the most passionate places to go and play football, watch football. So when you see some of the stuff that's been served up in the last seven or eight years, where it looks like the fans are beaten before the start of a game, it looks like the players are a little bit lethargic and that energy's not in the stadium. They need the energy in the club. And that isn't going to change through a manager a manager coming in or a manager not coming in. So I think that Steve Bruce, to be fair, he gets a bit of a tough gets a bit of a tough ride at the moment. And um, yeah, I think that they are where they probably would be under most managers. Newcastle fans will disagree with that, I know. I know they'll disagree with that. They think they should be doing better. But Newcastle fans should always think they should be doing better. But the major thing that will need to change at Newcastle will be the ownership to really drive that club forward. Because once you have that energy in the club, the energy comes from the top. And if the energy's not there at the top, you really are struggling.
0: The energy has come from across from me here, from you. Thank you for keeping me energised. And I want to say we got some
1: great news before the game because you told me some great news about you having the vaccine. Uh, last week, tell us about your
0: experience because you're the first person that I've met actually that's uh, had the vaccine I qualified through age (laughs) which is not something I'm particularly proud of but I suppose it has its advantages it should be through excellence It was a very easy experience it was just like any jab going to um going on the holiday if you have to have something for a particular country very well organized by the national health service and by public health england um no delay one really important thing they give you 15 minutes afterwards just to make sure you're okay no adverse reaction i had absolutely no reaction at all eight days ago feeling great and to be honest I was a bit, like a lot of people in this country, a little bit concerned. Yeah, has it been developed quickly, too quickly? Um, But I realised when I got there, it was my responsibility to have it, not just for me, but for obviously mixing in the community. We're lucky enough to be out and about in the difficult times at the moment. And when I came out having had it, I felt very good because I thought it was the right thing to do. And I would uh, say to everybody who's faced with this decision, and it is a personal decision, everybody has their right for their own choice, from my experience to it yeah, well it's great news I have to say that
1: we've been critical at times haven't we of the, <laughs> or I have, of, the, <laughs> of the government on this uh, on this podcast however I have to say that on the vaccine they're getting it right like you wouldn't believe I mean the amount of people that are having it every you know everybody that you hear talk about in the media now you firsthand the efficiency of the process seems good so that's great news. And I thought it was worth us mentioning it on this podcast.
0: I hope it makes me 20 years younger. (laughs) It will, I'm sure. You don't need to be. (laughs) Gary, thank you as always. Thank you very much.
2: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking.